Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. We're in our um, Reshape series, and um, this morning I want to talk about, uh, not that, uh, reshaping through, thank you, reshaping through relationships. Um, Okay, guys, you don't want to hear this then. (laughs) Okay, that was brief. You can get the podcast, all right? (laughs) Because um, it's through relationships, it's through the process of relationships that things change. And it's really important that we understand about people. We understand God's intention for relationships. And we understand how to reshape some of our relationships. All through my life, I have... worked on and reshaped relationships, partly because I've lived in different countries and that naturally ends some relationships. But but it's really important that we think about relationships and we think about how healthy are the relationships that we're in with people and what do we need to do and what do we need to think about. We need to go right back to the beginning because in Genesis, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I make him a helper, a companion. This is not a scripture about marriage. This is a scripture about loneliness because God is saying that word man, it means mankind. It means um, my species. It means a human being. So what God is saying here, it's not good for human beings to be alone. So I'm going to make another human being to come alongside that person. And that word helper or helpmeet in the King James Version, what that actually means is um, somebody who will come alongside, someone who will surround, someone who will protect, and someone who will succour. We don't use that old English word succour very much, but it means to assist and support, particularly in times of difficulty or times of trouble. So what God is saying here, it's not good to, for a human being to be on their own because when there are times of trouble, you need someone else to help you, to support you, to assist you, to surround you. Of course, then it says go on and multiply, and of course that is related to marriage, but primarily here God is saying it's not good for any human being to be on their own. And we know that scripture says two are better than one because when one is down, the other can pull them up. And so we need to be in relationship. And God is saying that he's created us for relationship, not just with himself, but with each other. Relationships are so important. Sadly, it wasn't long, only another three chapters into Genesis, when Cain and Abel were born and Cain decided to kill Abel because he uh, was jealous of the offering that he'd been presenting to God. So very quickly, relationships had broken down. Very quickly, something had happened where the relationship that God had intended and set up was breaking down. If you go down through the centuries and um, through time, there's been so many wars and hostilities that have caused huge rifts between people. I read this really good book a few years ago, and I'm trying to think what it's called. I can see it. It's blue. And it's about the geography of the world. 
and it talks about how particular pieces of land all over the world, why people want those particular pieces of land, why Russia wants other countries because it doesn't have a warm water port, and why African landlocked countries want you know, um, access out to the sea because they don't have ports. And it talks all about how land has been divided up across the world. And one of the things that really... Um, I, I noticed was that so many lands across the world over the centuries that have been conquered have been divided up by the conqueror in straight lines like this. You look at Africa, there's pretty much, you know, some straight lines there. And what they never took into account was that families lived on both sides of those lines and cultures lived on both sides of those lines and, and different tribes lived on both sides of those lines, but they just divided them up because they conquered them. And so we have caused so much chaos in the world to try and um, to, to pull apart relationships as a side effect of the way that we've carried on and through hostilities. And you think about, just think in the last 10 years, how many people in the world have been displaced and they've been pushed into countries not of their choosing, separated out, living amongst other people to whom they may or may not relate. And so we do an awful lot of damage when we do things like this. It's done untold damage to the world, to the state now. We've gone right to the other extreme where we have things like virtual relationships. I mean, what really, really, really concerns me about social media is so many of these virtual relationships. People are going to lose the ability to know how to relate to each other, how to communicate, because it's all done on text or it's all done on messaging or it's all done on in a virtual way you can even have a virtual second life if you want one and in that life you can behave how you like you know we have moved so far away from the kind of relationships that God has intended and why has that happened because the greatest enemy of successful relationships is selfishness so we've become very selfish as people and selfishness is epidemic in the world to say nothing of our country and us. Epidemic proportions is selfishness. And we have created a world where so many people are lonely. And, and we, have need, we, are, we need to get back to what God intended in terms of relationships and set the way forward for people to understand how we can have good relationships. Let me give you some facts about loneliness that might surprise you. 60% of people who feel constantly lonely are actually married. 60% of people who are constantly lonely are actually married. It's a misconception um, that loneliness depends on how many friends you have. You can be lonely in a crowd. You could be sitting in this room and be incredibly lonely, and it's full of people, either because you don't know them or because you don't know how to relate to each other. So it, it doesn't matter how many people you've got around you, you can still be lonely. People over the age of 55 are among the loneliest, and studies and statistics have even shown that chronic loneliness can increase your chance of premature death by more than 14%. How many people we know in the elderly don't speak to people from one week to the next? Loneliness and isolation is really such a dreadful thing, so dreadful that it can actually... Um, increase your chances of a premature death. And loneliness can cause poor cognitive responses and even dementia. 
when we're not communicating and relating. Why? Because that's the way we were created. That's what's built in us. Being lonely has been documented as a significant reason for the decline in our body's immune system. Um, And, of course, that can lead to illness and can lead to disease. So there's huge consequences. And a lot of the problems we have about relationships, the ones we've caused ourselves... And in order to get the best out of relationships, we really need to understand people, don't we? We need to understand each other, and we need to understand why relationships are so important. Relationships are so important for our mental well-being and our social well-being. We are social people, and we need to have social interaction. The capacity to maintain relationships is essential for our functioning in society, and it's a key component to our mental health and our positive sense of well-being. It doesn't matter what relationship you're in, you have to work at it, don't you? Whether it's a friend or an acquaintance or a marriage, whatever that relationship, unless we can get to the point of wanting to understand each other and, 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 and being able to work together with people, then we're going to have breakdown in relationship. But relationships start from the moment we're born. And this is something that we really need to understand, that for the first two years of our life where our brain is developing, that's when we learn about self-worth and attachment. That's where we learn about acceptance. When a small child puts its arms out and runs to you and you scoop that child up, you're saying to that child, you're worth it. You're saying to that child, I love you. You're saying to that child, when you're distressed, I will comfort you. And in the first two years of our life, that's when our brain is being wired toward whether or not we feel loved and accepted. And you know, those of you who are old enough and who can remember when communism was coming down across Eastern Europe and we saw those terrible scenes of children being left in cots in orphanages, you can remember that and those children did not know how to attach because they'd never been touched other than to be fed and changed. And that attachment to people is so important because if we never learn how to relate and how to attach and how to feel worthy when we're children, we will take that as a foundation into our adult world. And so we'll never know how to properly relate and attach ourselves to other people. It is so important. Whether it's your child or someone else's child, that acceptance and that love that you give. A few years ago, um, in another life, I used to. I was for a couple of years in the creche on Sundays. I haven't got any children, but that doesn't matter. I can love everybody else's, you know. And I loved that time in the creche, just playing with the children, accepting them, and um, and um, and and playing with them, you know, and affirming them. So really important in their. Um, in those early years and a consistent and a sensitive relationship is needed to ensure that we understand how to form attachment and not only bond with our parents but with our caregivers and then with um, our siblings and then with our grandparents and then with we go to school and miss becomes everything doesn't she she's the center of our world miss and so we use those relationships to set up our expectations Um, for other relationships. So it's so important in those early years. So why am I telling you this? Well, I'm telling this to you because it's so important that we understand people and we understand our ability, that our ability to form relationships is rooted in that childhood knowledge and acceptance. And it will impact. We all want to be loved and to love. We all want to have a sense of self-worth 
And because of that and the need to feed that, if we don't know how to build proper relationships, we will build unhealthy relationships because we're all looking for it. Anybody here not want to be loved? Anybody here not want to love others? There's that fundamental need inside each and every one of us. And therefore, if we don't learn how to do it healthily, we will do it unhealthily to meet that need. In the same way the men have to have the bacon to meet their needs. Which is why we live much longer than you, Mark. (laughs) However, there's good news. Um, And no matter what our start in life... We can find what we need to build a good relationship through our relationship with who? God. So we have to have a good relationship with God to learn how to build relationships with other people. Unfortunately, often the way we relate to God is how we've learned to relate to other people. So if you haven't learned how to relate well with other people, you will relate to God in that same way. I think about how children learn. They may see a bird in the sky and then see an aeroplane in the sky and they'll say it's a bird because that's all they know until someone says, no, that's not a bird, that is an aeroplane. You build on what you know. And if you've only known unhealthy relationships with your father or with your mother, for example, you will carry that into your relationship with God because you don't know any different. And even though we often relate to God in the way we relate to others, God is the only one who has the ability to transform the way we think. And therefore, um, we mustn't say we can never change. Please don't say, I've been like this all my life. I could never possibly change. That's a lie. doesn't matter how old you are. You can change. Why can you change? Because God has the ability to transform us by the renewing of our mind. And therefore, God is able to work in us and through us. For me, the best part of the women's breakfast yesterday was towards the end when we asked people, uh, asked women, what is, your, what is your greatest achievement in life? It was incredible to hear from the women how they had what they had achieved and how they had achieved it against all odds. Great treasure, great treasure in some of the women that you would never know by just looking at them. Behind every person is a story and a journey that has shaped them into the person that they are. And if that journey has included God, you can see how it really shaped them into a new direction. So let me ask you, where are you in your relationships today? Can we improve them? Can we nurture them? What causes relationships to break down? And and where do we need some reshaping? Well, perhaps the first relationship I want to put under the spotlight this morning then is our relationship with God. Um, If this is not healthy, if this is not active, if this is not being nurtured, if we're not devoted to it, then it will have an impact on how we relate to other people. Scripture is full of guidance about relational living and, and it's there to build us up. As, script, as Mark said this morning in his opening scripture, scripture is there for a purpose. It's for there to help us, not only to do the right thing, but to help us when we do the wrong thing and to help us to remain healthy. It's there for guidance. There's so much scripture related to um, uh, relational living. Ignore it and what comes in is selfish ambition. 
Absolutely. So Deuteronomy says this then, listen Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I have given you today are to be on in your heart. Repeat them to your children, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them in your, on the doorpost of your house and in your gates. What is God saying here? Why does he keep repeating this? Because he wants to get through to us how important it is that we pass on to the next generation. Teach your children, he says. Repeat it to your children. When I look at the, my nieces and nephews, the next generation in our family, I see my mother. I see what my mother put into me and to my brothers and sisters is now being translated into my nieces and nephews. My mother's motto, whenever I left the house, I've told you this before, I was one of six, she would always say, look after each other, look after each other, bring each other home, look after each other. And I hear that, I hear my nieces and nephews saying it, look after each other. They always text when they go out and they always text when they've come back so you know where they are. We don't know where they are, but you know that they've come back. <laughs> they're not angels, they're people. <laughs> but, but I see those things being passed on. We need to pass on to our children, yours and others, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Bind it as a sign on your hand. What does it mean to have it on your hand? It means everything you do in Scripture. So everything you do must be done through that lens of love, the love of God. And then it says, on the, put that symbol on your forehead. What does that mean? Everything you think. Everything you think, do it through that, the love of God. What about on your doorpost? So every time you come into your house, you're coming in with the love of God, with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. It will change the atmosphere in your house. When you come in and when you go out, if we put this first, if we devote ourselves to our relationship with God and use that as the lens with which we do everything else, our relationships will work. If I push my relationship with God aside and I start having relationship with people without the love of God, selfish ambition will take over. It will be about me. It won't be about you, it'll be about me. But when we look through the lens of God's love, it will be about you and it won't be about me. Why? Because it says we need to honour one another and be in relationship with one another. So important. Jesus never did anything for himself, did he? He was other-centred. Everything he did was about other people. Maturity is clearly visible in a person by the way they relate to somebody else. You know, you can go to as many prayer meetings as you like, come to church as much as you like, you can say as much as you like, but actually, the way you relate to somebody else will really speak very clearly about your level of maturity in God. We can have all the spiritual disciplines we like, but maturity is seen when something of the way God loves people becomes my default position towards you. When I respond naturally to people, the way God responds naturally to see towards people, you'll see some maturity in me. When I react in the way that I choose to react, aside from God, 
I'm not growing and maturing in God. It's not what I say, it's what I do, and it's the way I behave which will test my maturity. So, what is mature love? Well, we've heard this at so many weddings, and we sung it this morning. Love is patient, kind, doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonour others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil, rejoices in truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. How many of us love like that? That is a tall order, isn't it? How can I possibly love other people like that unless I see them through the lens that God sees them and unless my focus is on loving God so that God's love in me... Um, I, I've, something God spoke to me about a few weeks ago in one of my <coughs> devotional times was that which you gaze upon, that which you look at, you become like. And it so, it so stirred me. And I thought, God, I'm just going to keep looking at you. I'm going to keep worshipping you. And in fact, I remember you said to me that Sunday, you said you were really going for it this morning because I'd come in with that. God, I want to look more like you when I go out that door. All I need to do is look at you. All I need to do is look at you and gaze upon you and worship you and lift you up. And when I go out, I'll be more like you than I was when I came in. Because your word says, that which I gaze upon, I become like. So it's so important that if we focus on God and we gaze upon him in our day-to-day life and in our world, he will become more in us and we will start to love the way that he loves and see other people the way he sees them as our default. It will just flow out of us without difficulty. And it will change us from being self-centred to being other-centred. So what about our other relationships? How healthy are our other relationships outside of God? We need to ask ourselves some serious questions about the relationships that we have with others in order to see whether or not they're healthy. And we were talking a little bit about this yesterday with the women. Some of our relationships we need to cut off. Now, please, I'm not asking you who are married to just (laughs) decide it's over. (laughs) You guys need to work at your relationship. But sometimes relationships are unhealthy. Sometimes relationships are codependent. Sometimes relationships pull you down. We need to ask ourselves these questions. Does this relationship inspire me? Does this relationship drain me? Does this relationship build me up? Does this relationship bring me down? Am I looking to this person for my approval? Is this person manipulating me? And do they constantly drag on my emotions? You know what? Healthy, godly relationships do not drag on your emotions such that it manipulates you to be a chameleon, to do everything that person wants or other people want from you. Is my life being enhanced by the relationship I have with that person? And, as we, and how can I develop and grow healthy relationships with other people? Perhaps in this area, we need to do some reshaping and looking at our relationships. And I want to just quickly run through three things this morning that will help us in that area. The first thing is that we need to live truthfully with one another. One John says, if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. God only operates in the light. Even darkness is as light to him. 
God only operates in the light and we need to step into the light in our relationships with people. Nothing is hidden from God. We can fool each other, but we can't fool God. And John tells us that if we really want to have fellowship, then we have to have that illumination in a relationship with someone else. And only when our relationships are exposed, if you like, or the light has been turned on in those relationships, can we really walk together Only when there's truth and honesty in a relationship is it going to become healthy. And walking together with that person in fellowship, that fellowship means partnership or social intercourse or participation or communion. Only can we really walk in that with another person when we're walking in truth and walking in honesty, walking in the same direction as somebody. Amos 3 says this, can two people agree together? Sorry, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Absolutely can't. And I said in the first service, I remember Matthew's grandfather, Derek Prince, he always used to say that when he left the house and he went out, he would hold hands with his wife. If he couldn't grab her hand to walk out of the house because of something that had gone on, it meant they had to go back in the house and sort it out. He said, because we can't walk together if we're not in agreement. And you can't hold hands and walk down the road with somebody that you're actually angry with or, or, or you're not walking together. You have to agree on the direction. And sometimes, sometimes we have to change direction, maybe for a season to walk with somebody. But certainly in marriage, you might both have to change direction to walk together and to agree. You cannot walk together and, and not agree on the direction in which you're walking. And therefore, we have to walk openly. So John goes on to say, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. What does that mean? It means that there's room in a relationship that you're walking in direction, the same direction. There is grace and there is forgiveness. The blood of Jesus Christ, it it says, it purifies us from all sin. I've come to learn in my latter life that the sooner I say sorry for something I've done, the less damage I've done. So as soon as I realise I got it wrong, I said it wrong, I shouldn't have done something, to go back to that person and say, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Will you forgive me? Um, If that person says no, well, that's fine, I've done my bit. And, And they then will have to work it out for themselves. But if I come and I say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, then I've reduced the amount of damage that will happen in that relationship. We're not perfect. We all make mistakes. We all get it wrong. That's why understanding people is so, so, so important. But when we don't come in forgiveness and when we don't come um, to restore relationships and we leave it for a long period of time, it gets harder and harder and harder and harder, doesn't it? You know, I can remember many years ago, somebody came in here I was blown away and she said, you know, I've been angry with you for the last six months. I said, really? You know, I didn't even know about it. She said, well, I've come to say that I've forgiven you now. And I said, oh, very nice too. You know, I didn't know anything about it, you know, but she had been stewing on it for six months. You know, what damage had that done? Nothing to me because I didn't even know about it. But it had done a lot of damage to her because she hadn't addressed it and she'd stewed on it until it had got out of control. So love covers a multitude of sin. And if I come to you and I'm in relationship with you and I've done something wrong and I ask you to forgive me, it's more likely to draw me toward you 
than it is to draw away from you. Because if we're wanting to walk together in the same direction, there's a commitment to grace and there's a commitment to forgiveness. And so we can be drawn together when we walk in openness and honesty, when we're exposing ourselves. And we don't like to do that because it makes us vulnerable, but it also makes us human. And if we're committed to that friendship, then we will be drawn together. But hidden sin and wrongdoing will eventually surface. And then that relationship could be irreparably damaged because it's been hidden. And so it's important in relationships then that we, we examine them and we look at what we need to do to keep them healthy. The second thing is that we need to have discernment in relationships. It's so important that we have discernment, discern, discernment, discernment, sorry. So beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Let me tell you something interesting about sheep. Okay, so sheep have cloven hooves. You've all seen sheep's feet. Sheep have cloven hooves, and their hooves, if their hooves are not cared for properly, they'll become diseased, and it will have a huge impact on their health and the welfare of their sheep. Those of you who know anything about sheep farming know that if they, if they, if they walk too much in wet land pastures, they get foot rot, and therefore it, affects, it makes them lame and they can't walk. So their feet are really important. What does the Bible say in Leviticus about cloven hooves and divided hooves? This talks about, in Leviticus, about rightly dividing the word of truth. So a sheep has a cloven hoof, and scripturally that means to us that we're rightly able to divide right from wrong, truth from lies. That's why we're likened part of why we're likened to sheep. So we have to have the ability to discern. Because if we don't discern, we will become lame. Our walk will be hindered. Our walk will be inhibited because we will have dis-ease. We will be un- have unrest. We will have dis-ease because we've become lame because we haven't been able to discern truth from lies. We haven't rightly divided the word of truth. It is so important. So we need to have the ability to look at scripture and rightly discern it. So what does a wolf in sheep's clothing look like then? And how can we protect ourselves? Because scripture says, be on your guard. Be on your guard. And the time when we're not usually on our guard is when we're tired or when we're distracted. But the Bible says, be on your guard. So how can we protect us? What does a wolf in sheep's clothing look like? Well, how can we protect ourselves? If you know the truth, you can spot a fake. So we'll know them by their fruits. Now, if I held up a fake £10 note, you probably wouldn't know it was fake unless I held up a real £10 note. And then you look at the two and you say, yeah, that one's fake. You only know it's fake because you've looked at the real thing. And so we need to know the truth. When we know the truth, we can spot a fake. So we know people by their fruits. You can talk as much Christianese to me as you like. You can say the right words. You can dress. You can even raise your hands if you like and worship in church. But what I will want to see is your behavior. And the, the Bible says that it's by their fruits. So by their fruit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, etc., etc. So we can recognize people by the fruit they bear, not by what they say. How they behave is so much more important. You might sound like a Christian, you might even look pious like a Christian, but you don't behave like a Christian. 
And therefore, we need to be aware of that. We might see this initially, if it, um, but if it's not genuine, it will soon fade away. People can't keep up a pretense for long. It might seem innocent, but there may be an ulterior motive, which gradually emerges, and they show you their teeth. <laughs> but it's too late, you're hooked. You know, we need to have discernment in relationship. A wolf in sheep's clothing is not looking to feed you. They're looking to feed themselves. So what do these relationships do for you? Are these relationships that you have all about them or all about you? Is that person, this is what selfish ambition is. Push God to one side. I want something from you. I need to eat. A wolf, have you ever seen a wolf kill some food and go and share it with a sheep? They don't do that. They kill for themselves. And so we need to be aware when we look at relationships, what is going on in this relationship? Are they feeding themselves or are they, is it feeding me too? A wolf in sheep's clothing um, will charm and manipulate you through appealing to your emotions. And I think that this potentially happens more for women than for men. But I've seen, and you've seen, and you've read in the papers constantly, this trickles through about women who've been deceived And, you know, they've lost all their life savings because someone's come along and manipulated their emotions and told them they love them and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. And then once they're in a relationship, they rip them off and off they go. So we need to be on our guard that people in the relationships that we have are not charming us. You know, people can be very charming. And we need to have a, um, a discernment from God as to for charming people who come in and who are appealing to us through our emotions. They will appeal to people when they're down. They will appeal to people when they're at the lowest. And, um, and so we need to be on our guard and stay strong. Um, so sheep in wolves' clothing, their stories um, were usually full of holes, excuses and blaming other people. Their stories don't tie up. They say this to one person, that to another, something to someone else. And then when you all get together, you think, what? It's not what they told me. You know, there's lots of holes. There's lots of blaming everybody else. There's no sense of responsibility. And we need to, we need to be on our guard against people like that because their motives are not pure. And there's something behind why they want in relationship with you. It's really important. 2 Corinthians says this, and no, and no wonder Satan does it <clears throat> all the time, dressing up as a beautiful angel of light. So it shouldn't surprise you that his servants masquerade as servants of God. Um, but they're not going to get away with anything. They'll pay for it in the end. Masquerading. When people are masquerading, they will eventually trip up. You might see them might be someone coming to the church for a few weeks to see what they can get from people and then suddenly they've gone. They've tripped up in some way, shape or form. We need to have discernment and we need to respond when we get that feeling about someone that something's not right and we need to look into that. I've often heard women say, sadly, um, I can't give up on this relationship because a relationship is better than no relationship. Is it really? Is it really worth being in a relationship where you're being manipulated and where you're, someone is masquerading? Because what is it doing? It's trying to meet your need to be loved. 
and therefore you would rather have a bad relationship than no relationship. And that's really sad. So what are we going to do then? Well, we need to let the truth of God guide us. And we need to trust the discernment and the wisdom of God's Spirit living through his word. We spoke about the Holy Spirit this morning. The job of the Holy Spirit is to reveal truth. Fred said when he was doing the offering, he said, when I'm concerned about my business, what am I going to do? I'm going to cry out to God. You know, and we need to trust in the truth of God's word. We need to stand on God's word and we need to trust it in our lives. It says here that false prophets, we need to surround ourselves also with believers that you know and trust. This one, sorry. Let the truth of God guide you. False prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive you, if possible. Even the elect. Great signs and wonders. We can see great signs and wonders and think it's God. It doesn't necessarily mean it is. Because Satan can manipulate. God says that even great signs and wonders can deceive even the elect. And so I have told you ahead of time, God says... Look into my word, know the truth, so when you know the, see a fake, you will know it's not the truth. Um, and so uh, Jesus says, I've told you ahead of time, so that um, we can be prepared and that we can be watching. You know, we don't have to wander through life blindly. And we can daily look to God. In, a, in, in our relationship with him, submitting to the authority of his word, sometimes saying, God, I don't understand your word, but I'm going to do it anyway, because that is what I want to stand on. Um, <clears throat> and when we feel unsettled and something's not right, bringing it to God to guide us. The other thing is surrounding ourselves with other believers that you know and trust. So important. It's what life group's all about. Surrounding yourself with a group of people that you can present it to, who can help you. It says, knowing this, scoffers will come in the last days. Scoffers are not people who eat their food fast. Scoffers are people who mock. There's a lot of mocking that goes on in people's lives, and people put up with it because of their desire to be loved. You know, you see on social media all the time about people who are trolls and who are saying horrible things. Why are they saying horrible things? Because they choose to mock. But that person on the other end of the mocking is the person who's reaching out to those people unhealthily because they're trying to get their desire to be loved met. But it's so important that we can go to people that we know and trust and that we can use that as a check and a balance. Look, this is what's happening in my world. This is what this person is saying and doing. How healthy is this? Does, do I need to change something? Um, and we need to stay away from scoffers. We need to stay away from mockers um, and stay close to people that we trust. And finally, the third thing is that we need to know how to handle disappointment. Disappointment is a huge part um, of relationships and it's inevitable that we're going to face disappointment in life. I've disappointed people in life and I've been disappointed in life. That is a given for all of us. It does happen, it will happen. It's how we handle it that matters. Um, It's it's about not having the fulfilment of one's hopes and expectations. Proverbs 13, 12 says... We just go back on. Unrelenting disappointment leaves you heartsick, but a sudden good break can turn your life around. Sometimes we, we are the cause of a disappointment. 
because we've had expectations of others and we've put expectations onto other people that they never had any, uh, any chance of fulfilling because they didn't even know about it. We do a lot of assuming. We assume that you'll be like this or you'll be like that because of our relationship. And sometimes we are the cause of the disappointment. Disappointment is an emotional response related to an anticipated reward. And the way we handle that can have incredible significance on our relationships. We will all experience disappointment. One thing we tend to avoid doing with disappointment is looking deeply into ourselves and saying, what did I contribute to that disappointment? Because disappointment focuses on outcome. If I disappoint you, you, or you disappoint me, I focus on outcome. I did not get the reward I thought I was getting or expecting in this circumstance. And we focus on the reward, and therefore we then either mistrust those people or we are devastated or crushed, especially if it was somebody that we loved. But what God does is he focuses on process. He says... I am concerned about the outcome, but actually I need to help you with the process because if I can help you with the process and help you to understand disappointment, then the outcome will be changed and the way we handle the outcome will be changed because sometimes we are the problem. And sometimes we have to look at ourselves. And why do we not want to look at ourselves? Because it's painful. But actually, if we understood God and we understood that that relationship could be restored through Scripture by looking at process, Romans says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they what? Help us to develop endurance. And endurance helps strengthen character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. For this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how clearly God loves us because He has given us his Holy Spirit. God wants the process of our problems and our trials to be for our development, not for our destruction. And all our relationships, both healthy and unhealthy, have something to teach us. But the unhealthy ones are the ones that need addressing. As the only person you can change is who? Yourself. I know we'd all love to change each other. But the only person you can change is yourself. And if you don't focus on process, you're not going to have a different outcome. We need to be able to discern the truth. We need to be able to walk in the light with people in order to change the outcome. And above all else, the one scripture that, and my last scripture, which I constantly default to because it is so important, and we have to be responsible for this, above all else, guard your heart because out of it flows everything that you do. Guard your heart. Watch over your heart. It means like a watchman. It means protect your heart. Watch over your heart. Because our heart, if we fill our heart with good things and if we fill our heart with healthy things, it will influence, our heart influences everything we do, everything we say, everything we will become and if we don't keep it healthy and if we don't keep our relationships open then it will lead to our destruction guard your heart for out of it flows everything we do amen